0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Got to say this morning, it's uh, super fun to have our worship team up here, but I really love that voice that was leading at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who uh, may be new with us, that's, uh, that's my son, Brendan, with the great haircut this morning. So good job, B. It's Father's Day, and uh, I pray that you guys are, are blessed. Uh, this morning, we are going to spend a little time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we're in the second week of a summer series that we've been doing uh, but I'm aware also it's Father's Day and we did have quite a few little guys up here on stage. Aren't you guys thankful for parents that want to follow the Lord and lead? Yeah. But in the uh, event that you have a vocal emergency in the middle of the, the teaching time, it's okay if you got to get up and roll out or a little bit of noise just means it's family, okay? So I want you to know that is all right. The, those little lungs are doing what they're supposed to. Uh, and the rest of you, um, I want you to grab on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me. Uh, the goal this summer um, is to put on display God's heart in our city. And what we're trying to do is, first of all, define what is God's heart for our city. But then we're trying to bring ourselves through this series a, a little bit closer to being aware of not just what is God's heart, some theological truths but how can I put on display God's heart in my life to our city? So we're trying to walk out our faith. How can we live it more loudly rather than just shout it or believe certain things? How can we live our faith in a particular way? And last week, we highlighted this thought, and it's gonna carry as a theme throughout the entire summer, and that is that the ache in the human heart is to live a life of deep meaning. It is our contention here that the only way to fulfill that ache is to give your life completely to Christ and live his mission for you. All right? His desire is for you to be fulfilled by walking out his purposes in your life in a world that wants to see that. As I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of a story about a man who... uh, was heading into town with his son and they had all of their goods, their belongings on a donkey. And as they are going into town, uh, he was leading the donkey and his son was walking along behind the donkey, you know, picking up stones, throwing some sticks, doing what kids do. And as they came into this first village, they were on their way ultimately to the big city, but as they came past the first village, a bunch of villagers were... uh, mocking him and saying, why is it that uh, you wouldn't ride the donkey? It seems like it would take a a lot less energy. And so he gets on the donkey. And uh, his son is walking along behind, and the donkey is moving. He comes to the next village, and the villagers are like, how cold-hearted are you that you make your son walk? And so he puts his son on the donkey, and he's leading the donkey as he's going in. he comes to another village, and they say, how ridiculous that you would put your son on there and and look at the son and they say, why would you make your old man walk? And so both of them got on the donkey. They come to the next village and the villagers all look at them and say, how mean of you, how cruel to animals are you that you got all of this luggage on there and both of you are riding the donkey. And as the man entered the city to which he was destined to come, they found him on the outskirts, slowly making his way into town and he and his son were carrying the donkey. Now, we live in a world that is filled with outrage and with a bunch of people who are quick to share their opinions on your life. Is that true? We're, we're living right now in an age where if they're hiding behind a screen, they will say something. There was a recent survey uh, done where the survey taker, the whole goal wasn't the survey. The goal was that the survey taker had put a swipe of peanut butter on her face just next to her nose and interviewed uh, uh, hundreds of people And in the process of the interview, she found out that only 2.6% of individuals would actually tell her she had something on her face. They were content to leave her alone. They didn't say anything about the obvious smear on her face. Is that incredible? Only 2.6%. If you are gonna be kind to a stranger, all right, who's gonna be out in public, wouldn't you tell them if they had something gnarly on their face? I mean, unless it was a permanent fixture, like it was, you know, genetic, leave it alone. 2.6%. We are not bold face-to-face. We do not know how to live things out face-to-face, but behind a screen, we're super bold, super angry, super outrageous. Scripture has an answer for how you can reach a world it is outrageous like that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is our second week in the series, second week in Thessalonians. Turn with me if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Let's stand and read this together. And the scripture says this, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously, In Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation did not come from error, or impurity, or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts for we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we did not seek glory from people, either from you or others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you and were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day, so we would not be a burden to any of you. We preached God's gospel to you, your witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly. Righteously, blamelessly, we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged and comforted and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Summary statement. This is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God which works effectively in you who believe. Do you believe that's an important word for us this morning? It is. You may be seated. I want to highlight yet another theme for uh, this series. Um, As we said at the beginning, there's an ache in the human heart to live a life of deep meaning. But I I believe alongside that ache for believers, especially those of you uh, in the room right now who are saying, man, I want to find out how it is that I can engage a world that is outrageous, that is overwhelming in their opinions. I don't know where it is that I can and go and share. How do I do this? I believe that the spirit-filled believer is hungry for tips on how to share the gospel in a contentious age. The spirit of God is inside you and has created a hunger to live an effective life But you are desperate, if you are a believer, to say, Lord, how can I reach this neighbor or that individual, that young man, that older person? How can I reach those who have been so infected with worldly thinking that it flavors everything that they do and everything that they say? Scripture gives us a a couple of ways that we can do that. But first, I want you to have empathy for Paul. Listen to his words at the beginning. It says here, uh, as you know, we were emboldened by our gospel to speak the gospel of God to you despite great opposition. Um, Verse two, it actually says, and we were treated outrageously in Philippi. Verse four, instead, having been approved by God and trusted with the gospel, we speak not to please people, but rather God. We didn't use flattering speech or have greedy motives. He's walking through all these things because he's combating what people are saying. He's been treated outrageously and now he's just filling up in these sentences defense a little bit of defensive statements but saying we didn't do that and we didn't do that and we didn't do that, but then he centers on what God called him to do. The question I would have for you as you begin to empathize with Paul, I wanted to see if you also would find yourself in this passage. Have you ever been treated poorly? Do you feel like you are facing great opposition today? Are you feeling threatened? That's Paul. Are you surrounded by strong opinions? Are you surrounded by flatterers with false motives? By the way, that's a, a statement even all the way back in the Old Testament as a warning to young men, be careful for the, to those who flatter you. They lay a net for your feet. We live in a day and age of people who would say, oh yeah, I really love when you do this or that, just as long as you stay away from really meaningful things. Are you surrounded by flatterers that have false motives? Are you surrounded by greedy glory hounds? Those are people who want all of your good that you do to reflect kindly on them. They'll put your picture on their poster. Do you feel that you must constantly combat half-truths, false facts, or straw man arguments against what you believe? If that's the case, you're feeling one with Paul. There's a story that a short while ago made the rounds, and it was a pretty impactful one, a man by the name of uh, Dan Cathy, um, who I believe, uh, Scott Sauls here highlights that he was probably listening to 1 Peter when he responded, but he's the president of Chick-fil-A, and he's a Christian, and he was thrust into the public eye when he was answering just a, 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 was a subject that they were actually being interviewed on It was completely separated, but at the end of a... Uh, discussion this reporter uh, asked him a series of questions and asked him for his stand on what he believed about gay marriage. Uh, When he gave his understanding according to scripture that's between a man and a woman there was this outrage and a giant protest against Chick-fil-a. Many of you remember this. And then there was a return protest, a protest against the protests, where in one day they sold a couple million sandwiches to people who said, well, I just want to protest the protest. Dan Cathy personally did not affirm or join in the protest against the protest. I want you to hear what he did. Instead, he quietly reached out to one of his strongest critics, a gay activist named Shane Windmire, who eventually shared these words in the Huffington Post. An editorial he wrote in on his own. It was an opinion piece. This is what he said. It is not often that people with deeply held, completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. We see This failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our own families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had experienced from others before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intensely to our concerns. He sought first to understand not be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. But, listen to this, he offered no apologies for his genuine belief about marriage, deep disagreement, no apology for what he believes, love, respect, listening, friendship, all at the same time. Now this is coming from somebody who is an opponent and a protester against that individual, but says, he listened to me, stood firm on what he believed, and it's begun to move the meter in my heart. How would you have responded? Ben Kathy did something that is significant there but I think it is hard for us to wrap our minds around. Paul gives a threefold plan for how we can actually, in a meaningful way, impact our communities. And he starts this way. He says, when sharing God's heart to your city, you need to act or start by acting like a mother. Uh, He says this, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing Or a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you'd become dear to us. Like a mother. says, gentle among you. There's actually an interesting debate if you want to read a a few... um, when translators are working through complicated uh, passages, there's a whole bunch of different ways you could translate this verse. And the reason for the complication, I believe, is that Paul in this moment uses an idiom. He talks about a mother who baby talks a baby but gives it what it needs, not what it is crying for. All right? So let me ask you something really quick. What does this baby want? I showed this picture uh, to uh, quite a few moms and quite a few men, all right? They had distinctly different responses. (laughs) The men were like, ah, this is gonna be noisy. I have no idea what that kid wants, right? Across the board, when I showed this to moms and they saw that little face, I said, what does this baby need? They started with this, (laughs) aw. Is that your response, mom? Aw, that little guy. And right away, they could say this. You know what? I know he's crying about somebody just took his toy or somebody else has something he wants, or but that little dude needs a nap. That little dude needs a bottle. That's what they're saying. I already know. He just needs a little something to eat. He needs a nap. Basically, what most men need. That's the face, guys. Need the Yankees to win. That's the face. What do their moms know? And, and probably as they begin to give that baby what it needs, not what it wants. So it's mad that somebody's just taking his toy. They don't grab that toy from somebody else. They don't respond to all the angry stomping. They don't take care and, and give them all the things that they want. Okay, they give them what they need. But as they are giving them what they need, there's a softer way to speak. You may coo a little bit. You may actually baby talk them. But there's a softness in the speech that gives that child what it needs. Paul starts and he says, you want to impact a world that is screaming and kicking its feet and angry and is overwhelmed? You don't start by giving them what they say they want. They're angry inside because of something else that is missing. Like a nurturing mom... With soft speech, you come and say, actually, I think what you want is Jesus. And you put it on display. You don't react. You don't get frosted that the baby is crying, all right? Those little lungs are doing what they're supposed to do. You respond with kindness. Like a mother, respond to the needs, not the noise. But there's a second thing. He goes on and he shows what a family does verses eight through 10, he says, "'Well, we gave you our own lives "'because you'd become dear to us, "'for you remember our labor and hardship, "'brothers and sisters.'" He's using family language now. "'Not mother, but brothers and sisters, "'working night and day that we would not be a burden "'to any of you. "'We preach God's gospel to you. "'You are witnesses, and so is God, "'of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly "'we conducted ourselves among you believers.'" Like family, like family, So once there is a response to the message, once there is a positive response that says, okay, I'm gonna respond to your kind words and this gesture, we move forward in the next step. Stage two, acting like family after there's been a response to the message. I want you to notice the sacrifice that is involved. Not because it's demanded, but because you love that individual. There's a story that really impacted me. It was told a while ago, and I I may have shared it before, but uh, it, it still just hits my heart. A gal by the name of Diana Kim had started a project in Hawaii where she lives of taking pictures of homeless, trying to put a kind face on homelessness. And 10 years into her project, she ran into a man, and she realized that this man she was taking a picture of was her father. He had left the home more than 10 years prior to that, left her when she was about seven years old. She can remember being a little girl on his lap, but she eventually realized she was taking photos of her dad, trying to humanize homelessness. She runs into her dad. For four straight days, with no response, she is standing next to this man and she's putting her hand on his shoulder saying, can, you have, can I get you some food? Can I bring you a meal? She finds him underneath a dumpster and she's bringing him some kind of sustenance. One lady walks by as she is trying to hand him something to eat and says, why do you bother? He's been standing like that for the last couple of weeks. The last four days he's been in the same place. Just leave him alone. He's unwilling to try. That lady that was walking by had no idea that this was her father. Why was she trying so hard? Well, she already cared about homelessness, but here is her dad. So she goes, day after day, four years, until finally, Diana Kim's father ends up having a heart attack. And some nice stranger calls an ambulance, keeps him alive, he gets into the hospital. They discover that in addition to the heart problems that he has, he actually has untreated schizophrenia. They put him on medication. They're able to get him moving forward. And I think we have another picture here of her with her dad. This is years later. He's able to speak to her. He said, when you were young, I named you Diana. It's the light of my life. That was the brightest day of my life. He says, but that darkness was always in me. And now he has a part-time job. He's been living with his family. He's been in the process of repair off of the streets, into her life, and actually able to reconnect with family because she didn't leave his side. But what does the Apostle Paul say? It's not just with homelessness, it's with every single individual. When they begin to hear the message and respond, what are you supposed to do? As if it's your own father, you don't leave their side. He says, you weren't a burden to me, I came there every single day and I gave you this message and I served you with my heart because you are somebody's child, you are somebody's parent, you are somebody's grandparent. You matter, but you are ultimately somebody that God loves and therefore, I'm gonna shower love on you. How do you reach a world that is completely broken and crying for things and begging for things that you know if they ever got them, it would destroy their life? How do you respond to them? You love them first like a mother and then like family. You do not give up. You walk alongside them. But third, he wraps up and he says that we're supposed to treat them like fathers. Third stage, they've responded to the message. Now we're walking with them out of ignorance and into faith. But what's the final stage? It says treat them like a father. Guide them focused on God's glory, not your own. There is a uh, bunch of quotes that I had gathered. A couple of different guys had uh, been compiling uh, quotes on what it means to be a father. One, uh, and it's it's amazing how often uh, it says author unknown. I think most of them just don't want to be flagged as the guy who wrote this, right? But it says a father carries pictures where his money used to be. (laughs) Yeah, from unknown says, uh, Mark Twain said this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at much, how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> Jimmy Purcell, an American professional baseball player, was talking about the practicality of being a father, and he says, you know, any father can put on a diaper, and this is during the era of cloth diapers, He says, I can tell you how to do it and I can say it in a way that a man would understand it. He said, you spread the diaper out in the position of the diamond with you at the bat. He says, fold second base down to home and set the baby on the pitcher's mound. Put first base and third base together, bring up home plate and pin the three together. Of course, in the case of rain, you gotta call the game and start over. One man also attributed to his unknown says, every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example instead of his advice. As you know, like a father with his own children, this is Paul's words, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Doesn't say into my kingdom and glory, into my ways or my thinking. He says into his kingdom, his glory. And we implored you to walk worthy. Three words that he uses there. It'd be important for you to look up the meaning of these, uh, the biblical meaning. Encouraged, it, it comes from that same word that we've been talking about for a while. Literally that paraclete with our counselors to walk alongside somebody. You walked alongside those that were working out. The old life is slowly disappearing and the new life is becoming more real, but how do I do that? You walk alongside with encouragement those people. And it says comfort literally means to console them. Why? Because how many of you have wasted years? You only have so many days, you're going to be alive on earth, and and we don't know if perhaps today is the last one. How many of you have wasted opportunities, or wasted seasons, or wasted moments? Instead of badgering you about all of that waste, it says, come alongside and walk with somebody in new thinking, and then console them when they realize, man, look at all that I've wasted. Look at the missing chances that I've had. A good father, instead of chastising and abusing and berating, comes alongside and encourages and comforts. And then it says imploring. It's literally, it means to attest or to live out the witness. One of the habits in our family, my dad calls on Saturday mornings. It's something that he started all the way back in college Um, My dad was always growing in his faith when I was in the home, but we became really close in those college years, and I would look forward Saturday morning to a phone call from my dad. He would call all of us kids, and he would do these three things. He would encourage us, he would comfort us, and he would implore us. He's had from a very uh, a, a long time. If you go to his house, there's two things he's going to highlight for you. He's going to highlight, you know, the, the river that he loves being near, and he's going to highlight a little devotional book by a guy named Dan Evans. It says, Encourage Me. It has a picture of an upside down giraffe on it. I can remember the front of it. It seems awkward, but it's from an African missionary, and it says, uh, it goes all the way through the, entire, the entirety of Scripture. There's a comment from every book. And he. On Saturday mornings, we'll do two things. Hey, how are you doing? Check in with us. But then he'll read. He'll say, did you read Evans this last week? No chastisement if we haven't. Um, Two-thirds of the time, we have no idea where our little devotional he sent us is. But he said, oh, you might have missed it. Here it is. And he'll read us a thought from Evans that impacted him. If you go to the house, that little devotional that he has alongside his Bible is also a keepsake. He's noted there times when kids were born, when cancer hits the house, when a medical emergency has happened, when a family member died, the day, the time, all of those are recorded in this little journal and he'll, he'll send out a picture of the day's challenge. This is a habit that a father does when he wants his kids to follow and fall in love with the same God that he loves. Father, is a term that we earn. And this is a statement that Paul is saying is a third stage level connection with the world around us. They are aching for people who will encourage and comfort and witness to them the truth that following Jesus is better than following that old life. What is the result? We see it in verse 13. It says, This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God which works effectively in you who believe. The result is that those who respond will say they actually heard from God, not from you. Nicholas Christoph in the New York Times, not a believer. But he was talking uh, with some people who he had deeply respected that were believers. And once again, uh, he makes this observation about evangelical Christians. He says, some self-appointed evangelical leaders seem on the outside to be homophobic. Many claim to be pro-life, but they seem very little, to have very little concern with human life post-uterus. Those are the preachers who have won headlines and disdain. But in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, I have seen so many others. Evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charity. More important, they go to the front lines, at home or abroad in battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking, genocide. Some of the bravest people you are ever going to meet are evangelical Christians. They truly live their faith. I'm not particularly religious myself, he says, but I stand in awe of those that I've seen risking their lives in this way, and it sickens me to see that faith mocked in New York cocktail parties. An unbeliever seeing Christians actually live what they say that they believe and making a difference. Folks, that kind of life just begs Other people want to listen. That kind of life begs to be heard. It preaches. It allows you to get in, not because of a protest, but because of a profound God. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ lived out in a world that is hurting. As a mother, as a family member, as a father, coming alongside them, that kind of message will impact the world right now that is angry and crying for things that they do not actually want. They need Jesus, and they need us to love them enough to live it out and give that to them. Amen? Let's pray that we can respond that way. Father, we ask that you would help us to be those kind of believers. Those who would put their faith on display, who would live transformed in a world that is outrageous. Father, our world is hungry. They are overwhelmed with the need for Christ. They think that they want some of these things they are protesting for. They think that they want other things. Father, some of the things even that they want are real needs that they are desiring to get fulfillment for the wrong way. Help us to put you on display in a way that will actually invite that gospel discussion. Help us to put you on display in a way that we see multitudes begin to respond with respect to believers, but ultimately with faith to you, that they would put their faith in you and they would hear the gospel from people who are living it out. Make us folks like that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.